So, Father, open our eyes, open our ears, open our very lives. I, I pray that my life would be just like laid out before you this morning. That you would have your way. That you would help me, you would help all of us to learn and grow together. In Jesus' name, amen. So guys, this whole thing in 1 John, you've you probably been tracking, but you, you see that he's been talking a lot about behavior that lines up with belief. And so if we say that we believe Jesus Christ and we trust him, there's going to be some things that are true about our lives. He has never said, if you can just muster up enough gusto in your will to do a bunch of good things, that's going to produce righteousness. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that if you have a real and living true or faith, if you have a real and living faith, it's going to produce a change in your life, a change that's going to be evident to all. So the first several chapters, he's talking a lot about what to do. But in this chapter, in chapter 5, he's talking about belief. What do you believe in your heart, right? What you believe is crucial to your life. What you believe... Change your decisions this week. Some of you are Chevy guys, and you're driving a Chevy today because you're a Chevy guy. That's just who you are. You believe, for whatever reason, Chevys are better than something else. If you believe that uh, there's a certain brand of, 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 of uh, product out there that you like more than others, uh, you just, you're loyal to that. What you believe this week determined a lot of things in your life. The Bible says that as a a man thinks in his heart, that's who he is. That's how he is. That's how she is. And so I just want you to be aware as well that as much as we talk about community and connecting and being together, that that being together and hearing each other's ideas, parents, you know this, that being at a place where there is an idea that's put forth is not a guarantee that the person who heard the idea is on board. Right? Because inside each one of us, there's this place where we, we decide what we're going to believe. So my parent teaches me that this is the wise way, but you know what? At some point, there's this inner person inside of me that decides what I think is the wise way, what I think is the good way, what I think is the right way. And so uh, two things I say to that. If you're a parent here and your child is struggling with what they believe, Welcome to the party. (laughs) Welcome to the party, right? But also, uh, I want us to see that the belief, what we believe in our heart is crucial. It's crucial. And that's what this passage is all about. John is saying, okay, we've talked about behavior and we've talked about a general faith, but now I want to ask you, what is it that you believe? And here's a better question. Why do you believe what you believe about Jesus? Why is it that that's something you you have held to or that you hold to today, all right? So we live in a world that wants to doubt all of these things, that wants to question all of these things, and wants to to redefine what it looks like to be, quote-unquote, a Christ follower, to be a Christian. We live in a world that that wants to believe that, that you can be a Christian without changing much about your life. So I'm a Christian because of, you know, I believe there's a God out there somewhere. Must be. I'm a Christian because uh, between 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, I go to a church where the Bible's opened. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian because I believe in, because I live in the United States of America. I'm a Christian. 
That, that belief, the belief of sort of a, an easy belief, a sort of general like, yeah, I can believe that, but I don't have to change. That, that is what John is confronting here. All throughout the, the whole book, he has said, look, if there are people among you, and remember that this is what, what had happened. He established a church. They were teaching the ways of Jesus. A group within the church had begun to come up and say, you know what? We can go beyond what the, what, what the message that you've given us. We can go beyond what Jesus said to us. We can go beyond what the apostles think. And they were going out from what the, the teaching of the word had been, and they were believing more and different and stranger, quite frankly, things. So that's why the whole message of this book is abide, stay here, believe what we have, what we have given to you about Jesus, okay? Because there's going to be a tendency, and there's that tendency in our world today, which I just started saying before, there's this tendency in our world today to go out from under and believe something new. I want to believe something different. I want, to, I want to go my own way. The, the word is not that important. Jesus is not that important. I can believe what I really kind of want to believe. So again, we go back to that. I, you know, I can be Christian without changing too much. But Jesus said to the fishermen, remember? I will make you fisher of, fishers of men. And his point there was, you, you're a fisherman, but I'm going to turn that desire to, to cast a net and catch. I'm going to turn that and everything about your life is going to change when you follow me. Some want to say, well, I can be a Christian without sacrificing much. Philippians 2 says that within the body of Christ, we're going to sacrifice for one another, and the needs of the other person is going to be more important than my need. It's going to be a Christian conviction. We live in a world that wants to say, hey, I can be a Christian, and a lot of my opinions are different than what the Bible has to say, and I'm okay with that. And so you can be a Christian and have my opinion, I, I have a different opinion than what the Word of God says, and that's okay. He's okay with that. Only he can judge me, right? Well, John puts a judge forth today for that mindset of I can do what I want to do and still, quote-unquote, call myself you know, a Christian. So John is putting forth these three witnesses we're going to look at in just a minute. I just want to define my term before I move ahead, okay? A witness is... Uh, something that will confirm or attest to something on the basis of personal knowledge of that thing, okay? So here today, John is putting forth witnesses that is immovable testimonies from God that will identify what true Christ followers must believe about Jesus if they are to have the Son and therefore have life, okay? In a world of a million voices, John is saying, this is what we must have. And uh, he puts it forth like this in verse 6. This is he who came by water and blood. Okay? That's kind of a foggy reference. Now, what does it mean to come by water and blood? And I'm going to unpack that, the concept of water. Uh, this is the first testifier. Jesus came by water. We get the, the idea of his, his birth. All right. So first, first things first, these three witnesses, they all agree with one another. They're all saying the same thing. The water says this. It's, it's about the life of Jesus. There's water at the birth of a baby. And so at Jesus' birth, we have some amazing things that, that came to be uh, that, that in this testimony of water. 
Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall call his name Emmanuel. Okay? Jesus was born of a virgin, and that was not only an identifier of him when he was born, it was also prophesied about him 800 years before he came into this world. The virgin birth is a big deal. It's not just sort of like, well, what's the, what's the big deal? We, we're not going to emphasize that. No, it was, it was miraculous, and it set Jesus up, guys, as both divine and human. He was born of a woman, right? But he was to be called, remember, Emmanuel, God with us. So this testimony of water is a testimony that God is both, or that Jesus is both fully human and he is fully divine in one person. He is a baby and yet he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Matthew chapter 1 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together sexually, she was found to be with child, listen, from the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 20. Joseph, son of David. Remember, Joseph was like, eh, maybe I shouldn't get married to this girl who's now pregnant. And he was going to put her away privately, quietly. But an angel came and said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Note this, the testimony of water is a statement that the virgin birth of Jesus is a sign of the power of God and Jesus' unique identity. Okay? But more than the, the, the birth, I think that the water here also testifies to Jesus' baptism. Guys, we have a baptism service today. Can I just tell you, if there's any way for you to rearrange your 2 o'clock schedule today and come hear the testimonies of, of what God is doing in the lives of our young people and some older people. Come today at 2 o'clock. Come on out and hear what God's doing. Because we live in a world where the bad news is going out all the time. And I want to tell you there's some good news. God is on his throne. God is calling people to himself. And this baptism service this afternoon is going to really be a, a great time. So, but, but Jesus, Jesus was baptized. This is a testimony to us, again, about his humanity. It's, it's as if there was this um, anointing where we say, okay, listen, uh, before Jesus goes into his public ministry, we're going to anoint him, we're going to baptize him in water. Now, keep in mind, he was about 30 years old when he got baptized. I, I'm still amazed at that. I don't know if you're amazed at that, but 30 years old, he was preparing all that time, getting ready. And the baptism was a statement that, okay, now the earthly, physical ministry of Jesus begins now. You remember what Jesus said? He went out into the wilderness, and he came back, and you remember his first words about his public ministry? He said this, repent, the kingdom of heaven is now here. So the baptism of Jesus was this baptism into his his human, his fleshly ministry, okay? The, and his ministry in the flesh, I should say. 
The mission of Jesus Christ, my friends, was not this mission of going around and being as loving as he could to people. He wasn't going around and trying to uh, uh, just be nice to people. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. And so this testifier is this testifier of water of Jesus being baptized into a ministry that was going to have great impact in the world. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. He came to find the people who would repent and pay for their sin. That's what Jesus was all about in his earthly ministry. So his baptism is a representation of his life and his earthly ministry. Remember that at his baptism, he was identified not only as a human because he was baptized. By the way, um, one of the questions I always ask, and I can't always get my brain around, is why would Jesus bother getting baptized? People got baptized. It was a picture. It's a picture. Think about it. It's a picture of being cleansed. You go down into the water, you come out, and you're cleansed. People in the Old Testament, remember, they would, they would be uh, unclean and they couldn't go to the temple until it was like twilight at night and they would go and they would be ceremonially ceremonially cleansed and after they were ceremonially ceremonially okay you guys just look that word up later okay all right after they were cleansed they would come up out of the water and they could return to the temple so jesus never had sin and therefore never needed to be cleansed in Matthew chapter 3, basically, G- Jesus is making the case to John, this is just what righteous Jews do, and so I'm going to do it too. So there's no stumbling block, right? So Jesus is baptized, and he, he's almost saying he's identifying with us, with people in the flesh. But remember at his baptism, he was also identified as God himself. Remember the, the, spirit, the, the spirit descends in the form of a dove? Remember a voice from heaven calls out and says this listen is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased and so the the water testimony here is not simply a testimony of his humanity it's a it really is a testimony that he is god himself as well as the voice of god is heard so i just want you to to get that listen many in our day want to emphasize only the physical life of jesus be careful of this Okay? In fact, in the passage, if you look at uh, 1 John chapter 5, verse 6, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Listen, not by the water only, but by water and blood. Some people in our day want to emphasize water only. They want to say, Jesus, good example. We should be more like Jesus. What would Jesus do? Let's get a, let's get a thing on our wrist. What would Jesus do? And what, in, invariably, that concept and that emphasis emphasizes his morality it emphasizes his words it emphasizes his kindness but here we need a second witness the first witness is water but john is saying the water in and of itself is not sufficient let's go to the next witness and that next witness is the blood of jesus if water emphasizes his life then blood emphasizes his death Jesus came to die. Jesus came both to live and to die. He took on our nature in his life and uh, our sins in his death. So just so we are all aware and understand the nature of death, 
Uh, Jesus came to die in your place and in my place. From the very beginning, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17, God places Adam and Eve literally in the Garden of Eden. And he says, look, you can do whatever you want, but don't do that. If you do that, you're putting yourself in the place of me. And you, in the day you disobey me, in the day you think you know better than me, you will surely die. From the very beginning, the wages of sin is death. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God is coming and he sees Adam and Eve in their sin. And rather than taking their life in the day that they died, he makes a promise to them. From the very beginning, God is gracious. Guys, the Old Testament is not all anger and judgment and the New Testament grace. From the very beginning, Genesis 3.15, God says, you know that the wages of sin is death. I promise to send one who will take away your sin. God, from the very beginning, says, I'm going to send Jesus who will crush the head of the serpent. There in Genesis chapter uh, Uh, 3 verse 15, he, Jesus, will bruise the head of the serpent and you, Satan, will bruise his heel, Jesus' heel. In Exodus chapter 12 and verse 13, you remember uh, that, that the children of Israel were in captivity and they were going to be rescued from captivity by the power and the hand of God. And there, the plagues came, and they were on the last plague. And the last plague was that a, an angel of death would pass over houses, and there would be death in houses that did not trust God, right? Genesis chapter 12 and verse 13, the blood that you put on the doorpost. Remember the night before, they were to eat a lamb, sacrifice the lamb, put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of their home. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. We could continue on. Isaiah chapter 53, 4 through 11. All of the Old Testament is prophesying of uh, how heinous, how difficult, how how horrible our sin is. that That the wages of sin is death. But God has promised that he is going to send one who would take away our sins. Isaiah 53, 4, surely he has borne our griefs. So God sent one, Jesus, to bear our griefs, to carry away our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. And so this second testimony, this testimony of blood, is a statement of how horrible our sin problem is and how holy God is. God is holy, guys. Without the shedding of blood, Hebrews 9.22 says, there is no forgiveness of sins. And yet all through 1 John, and we live in a day just like that, all through 1 John, they're, they're saying things like this. If we say we, we have everything in common with, with God, we have fellowship with God. Do you have friends who say, what's the big deal about sin? What's the big deal? 
Sin's no big deal. Everybody sins. And if we're not careful, we can be lulled into thinking that our sin is no big deal. And the testimony of the blood that God is providing for us today is a statement to us that our sin, guys, it's a big deal. It separates us. God is required to pay for sin. To pay sin, to pay back for sin. He said from the beginning the wages of sin would be death. And if he's a God who tells the truth, then he has to hold people responsible who sin. And these false teachers are saying, what's the big deal? And then when they were saying, what's the big deal? And our sin is no big deal. The next thing in, in 1 John chapter 3, they didn't even love the other believers. And then in 1 John chapter 4, they started to love the world. They want the world. And they continually are saying, it doesn't matter. I don't have sin. I don't love the Christian people. And I do love this world system, but I'm still in Christ. And listen, I'm telling you, we live in that day today. If you've been in college recently, you have lived in a place where you have heard people say, uh, on one hand, sing the praise of God at some student group on Thursday night, and you have watched them testify in a different way with the way they actually live their life. And I'm not picking on college students. I'm picking on all of us. We live in a day, my friends, where people want to say they have faith. And what that really means is I have a mental ascent in my brain to say there must be a God out there somewhere. But listen, I'm going to live how I want. The testimony of the blood is a statement to you and me that sin is sinful and that God is holy. On your paper in front of you there, you may want to write down the, your sins that required the payment of Christ's blood. I wrote down a few. My selfish expectations. I've lived my life for me so frequently and it just creeps in all the time. The last argument you had with your spouse that was about your selfish expectations. It was about what you wanted. Listen, there's no payment for that sin without the blood of Jesus. My selfish use of money. My arrogant attitudes towards people. My self-absorption. My acts of impatience. My breaking of God's commandments. And I don't know where you are or what you're writing on your little paper there, but I'm telling you, until we get to the point where we see the holiness of God and how great the payment is that he made, we, we are going to be disconnected from this testimony. This testimony is this, that the life of Jesus Christ is required. He was on a mission, and he came to seek and save that which is lost. The second testimony was that the blood of Christ is required as a payment of sin, and that there's no sort of a ollie ollie income free for all the world. You, we live in a world that just, that's what they want. Remember when you were little and you played those games? And I know I use this illustration a lot because it's, it's something I struggle with. I had struggled with in the past. Why can't God just go out in the neighborhood and act like, okay, the, the first person that was in got, got tagged, they're it, and now it's time to start the next version of the game, 
And we walk down the streets as kids and yell to one another, Ollie, Ollie, income free. We're starting a new round here. Come on in. We're all going to meet back at the base and decide who's, who's it. And then we're going to go back out into the neighborhood. Why can't he just do that? Because from the beginning, he told us that the wages of sin is death. He told us that, that sin is a rebellion against him. He told us that from the very beginning, and sin has to be paid for. There's a third witness that agrees. The third witness that agrees is the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to move through this rather quickly. We've talked about it a lot in the last several weeks, so I'm going to give you an overview, okay? The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. He's the third member of the Godhead. He is co-eternal with the Godhead. He was present in eternity past. He was present at uh, creation. He hovered over the formless void that was the beginning as God created. He was active in the Old Testament. Don't think that the, the Holy Spirit only became active in the Newer Testament, right? David says he knows that, he, that the Spirit is on him, and he says after he sins, remember in Psalm 51, whatever you do, God, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I need that. I need you, right? And, and so uh, the Holy Spirit is active, and he is sent by Jesus into the world after Jesus' ministry, and he's sent to minister, to minister the presence of Jesus and to teach us everything that we should believe, okay? John 14, 26, and 27 about the Holy Spirit says this, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Listen, when you believe testimony that comes from the Holy Spirit, you will have peace in your heart. You don't have to win an argument tomorrow. You do not have to convince somebody that you're right. You just you know that you've been taught of God. So witness number one is the water. Witness number two is the blood. And witness number three is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is teaching us exactly uh, is teaching us about what Jesus did and is teaching us the word of God. John 15, 26 says this. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you will also bear witness. And so it, the, the spirit has come to teach us about Jesus. Again, just to keep in mind, that in the local church there in the New Testament, in, First John's, in John's time, there were people in the church that were teaching, that's fine that we have Jesus, that's good and all, but we're in a new day, and now we can trust the new teachings, and if we even have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit might reveal to us things that Jesus never even revealed to us. Even things that contradicted what Jesus said. He might reveal them to us. Okay, listen, the Holy Spirit will never contradict Jesus. The Holy Spirit will never contradict the Word of God. What that means is some feeling in me that is leading me to do something that is contradictory to the Word of God, listen, is not the Holy Spirit. That's not God talking to you. That's you talking to you. Or that's a different spirit talking to you. 
So the Holy Spirit is the third witness. And it's as if God is saying, look, there's a million voices in the world. Don't you feel like that sometimes? There's a million voices in the world that's calling me to believe, and the loudest one is the one in my own ears. What should I believe? What should I hold on to? And it's as if, uh, under number one here, these three witnesses which agree, it's as if God is saying, okay, let me get down to the bedrock and I'll tell you what you should believe. Believe this, number one, Jesus came as a human, the God-man, to seek and to save that which is lost. He really lived in this world and he was really God. Number two, he gave his blood for us. The, The payment for sin is death. And either you're going to die for your own sin or you're going to trust the one who died in your place, Jesus Christ, his blood. He loves you that much. He wants to bring you purity and make you holy before God. Number three, all the stuff that I believe about living in life lines up with what the Spirit teaches me, which lines up with what the Word teaches me, because God has sent the Holy Spirit to teach me. And so here's what that does for me. Number two, one more witness, and it's, it's a witness that is, in essence, the witness of God himself. It's as if there's a trinity of, of witnesses, and God is saying, what those three things say, the water and the blood and the Spirit, what those three things say together, that's my word to you for today. Can I just speak to you? If you have a million voices and you're not quite sure what to believe, and you've got the loudest voice in your own ear about what to believe, have confidence that the three witnesses that God has put on the stand for you and for me today is true. Let me say it the other way. Say it another way. Stop listening to every voice in your life that does not line up with these three witnesses. You say, well, I've got a friend, and they always want to talk about Jesus. They always want to talk about spiritual things, but they really believe some things that that it just feels twisted and feels uh, convoluted. And, you know, I've got some doubts in my own life. I don't know why God does things the way that he does. I don't understand why did God make this world the way he made it. I don't understand why, why am I struggling with the things that I'm struggling with. I'm here to tell you what we need to do is say, okay, I'm going to stop listening to all of those voices. None of those voices are going to hold sway in my life anymore. Listen, we live in a world that loves the journey, don't we? Everybody's on a journey. Code word, nobody's right, nobody's arrived. That's what they really mean by that. And can I just tell you that if God has testified clearly and he has told us about the water and the blood and the spirit, you are not on a journey when it comes to truth. You are not still looking for something that's going to satisfy the inner longings of your soul. You're not still wondering if God is enough. If you believe the testimony and the witness that God has for you, you're not on a journey, spiritually speaking. Now, you're on a ride because you don't know what's coming next. But here's what you do know. Whatever comes next, you're believing the witness that God has provided for you. You're believing the water and the blood and the the spirit. So, So you're not looking for truth. You found truth. And in our world, that sounds arrogant. Sounds like we're really arrogant. You think you're right? But here's what I think. I have, this is what you, your response. You think you're right? Here's our response. Well, I have considered a lot of voices I've considered a lot of voices in my life, and here's what I have decided. I have decided that the voice of God, that the testimony of God who teaches me about the life of Jesus and the death of Jesus and the word of God, he is who I trust. 
And so if that is arrogant, then I'm arrogant, okay? Now, we can be jerks about that. And so we got to be careful that we don't add our own human, truly our own human pride to that. We've got to say it humbly. And so we've got to make a distinction between arrogance and confidence. You have the confidence to listen to the testimony of God because you are convinced in your heart that he's true and he's right. And that only happens when you have the Holy Spirit. So, not only do you have the confidence to stop listening to all the other voices, and can I, can I just speak to you? Man, if you're in school, if you're, if you're in school right now, and obviously it's summer, but you're going back to school, those voices, if you, if you work out in the marketplace, those voices are, are constant, aren't they? About what you should believe and what you should think. And they don't necessarily say this is what you should believe about God, but they show you in the way that they are actually living their life what they believe about God. And so we're the place, guys, where we need to, again, look back and go, okay, this is the witness. This is what I'm banking on. I'm purposely not listening to all of those other voices that have a different take on who God is and what he's done. But not only is that witness the the witness of God. So look with me, would you, at verse 9? If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. So um, just a reminder that in Deuteronomy, there's a requirement that we would have two or three witnesses if we go to the court of law. It's reiterated in Hebrews chapter 10. You know, if we have a dispute and three people on the street see it the same way and testify in a court of law, it's a done deal. You know, three witnesses, that's the max, that's the fullness. And what God has done here is given us three witnesses to prove his point. It is airtight, it is locked up. And the point there in verse 9 is, look, if we, if we believe men when they speak about what they've seen, how much more can we believe God when he speaks about what he sent his son to do and what his son accomplished. We can believe him. We can trust him. Again, verse 9. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Okay, so he has a testimony, this, this trinity testimony, if you will, and now he's placed that testimony in and on you. Now, it's not a new testimony, meaning uh, I don't make it up as I go along. I don't just make stuff up and say, you know, now I'm a testifier about God and I'm going to, you know, yeah, start with your story. Start with what he's done in your life. Start with how he's changing you and your desires because you realize that if you're going to follow after Christ, you're going to change everything about your life, all about your passions, about what, what you're about. He's changing you. We start there, but what we testify, he's placed this testimony in us as we go out and about. This testimony is about the person of Jesus, what he's done, who he is. This testimony is about the the amazing holiness of God and how the death of Christ, how, how much love he has for us in sending his son to die for us. And this testimony is about the spirit. It's about what we're learning in the word of God, right? So we have a confidence to testify because God has placed his testimony in you and in me. Here's a reminder of our definition of what a testimony is. To confirm or attest to something on the basis of personal knowledge. 
He's placed his testimony in you. You attest to the work of Jesus and his life. You attest to the death of Jesus and his resurrection. You attest to what you're learning in the scriptures. You just keep pointing back to that. God's given you a mission. And so if we believe the testimony of Jesus, then the rest of our life is all figured out. You know what God's called you to do the whole rest of your life. You don't have any doubt. We talk about gathered and scattered, gathered and scattered. We gather here to be encouraged. We gather here to be strengthened. We gather here to be, to be built up. That's what equipping is. And so here, as we're gathered here, now here's what we're doing. All this week, there won't be a lot of activities where we're all together in this room and in this church because you're all going to be scattered. You're on mission. What is my mission this week? Well, your mission is to go to Kohler Company. Your mission is to go to baseball coach, if you're a baseball coach. Your mission is to go to knitting club, if you're a knitter. That's great. Your mission is to go wherever you're going, and you are a testifier of what Jesus, what Jesus Christ has done and who he is. So you're testifying. You've got his praise on your lips. And you know that other people are going to ask you questions and other people are going to challenge you and other people are going to doubt where you're at. But when you have opportunity, you're testifying. The, the, Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. The blood of Christ covers my sins and what I'm learning in the word of God. You're on mission this week. Now listen, if all, however many people are here today, if we all go out and do this this week, can you imagine how Sheboygan's going to be touched? We go out and his praise is on our lips because this one more witness, my friend, it's you. If you've trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you've stopped listening to all of the other insights and opinions about who Jesus might be. God has a mission for you this week on the streets of Sheboygan. So we reject the teachers who do not align with Scripture. And we reject uh, the testimony of our friends who go out from us who are not abiding where they used to. We reject the testimony of friends who, who start with the spiritual talk and, and talk with this. Listen, there's a talk in our world today, and it's all about the faith, the faith, the faith. You know? If you have a friend who constantly talks about faith and never talks about Jesus, can I just encourage you? Challenge them. Faith isn't going to save anybody. Faith in Jesus Christ will save. Okay? So, we're challenging and we're encouraging. And understand this, it's the wholeness. And I just want to really encourage us in this before we move on from this. The Spirit is teaching us about the Word of God. Okay? We need to be led into the truths that the, that the Spirit teaches us about the Bible. Be careful as we go to understand that the, it's the testimony of the, the life and the death of Jesus and all of Scripture in us. Receiving and believing God's testimony about Jesus Christ. He gives us his son. He gives us assurance. We have confidence. And as we have confidence, we are like, we're singing along. Again, number, number two here. We are one more witness and we are singing God's song as we go through our life. That doesn't mean everybody's in full-time Christian ministry, but it means that every one of us has, uh, has a mission this week as we are growing in our understanding of the word. We come to our third point, all right? Our third point is this, that whoever has the Son has life. We get to the whole point of this passage. Listen, the, the purpose of proof 
is to embolden belief. God gives us three witnesses so that we will believe with passion and boldness in his testimony. So as we stop listening to all these other testifiers and we start listening, listen, listening closer, we, we continue listen, listening closer to God's testimony, the purpose of this proof is to embolden our belief. Whoever has the Son has life. This life is it's incredible to think that God would give us life. Life is relationship with Him. Life is having fellowship with God Himself. And so God is providing for us life that resides in His Son. Look now at verse, if you would with me, verse 11. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. The first thing I want you to see about that life, it's a gift. God gave it to you. You're not better than somebody. You didn't earn it. It's not something that came because of your looks, because you live in the United States of America, because your grandma two generations ago trusted the Lord. If you are in Christ today, it is because God has given you the gift of eternal life, and that life is in his Son. God is good, and God is gracious. Second thing I want you to see about the life as we continue on, this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Again, this isn't a very popular thing to say in our world, but there is no life outside of Jesus Christ. That's not hateful. That's not arrogant. Christians, as Christians, we come to this place where we just say, look, okay, we are amazed that God has made any way to peace with him. We are amazed that God has given life at all, right? And he's given us life in his son. So in Jesus is this life. Third thing I want you to see is in verse 12. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Two truths. If you have that life, you have it now. Whoever has the Son, present tense, has life. Eternal life is not something that starts someday when you die and go to be with Jesus. Life starts now. And that means you live in the kingdom of God now. It means you love his kingdom now. It means you are living for his purposes now. It means you are testifying to his goodness now means you are saying what he's called you to say about his son now. Life has started now for those of you who have the son. If you do not have the, the son of God, I, I'll say this too. It, it, those that have rejected the son. Now keep in mind, here's the picture. These people have been in the church. They have heard what John had to say about Jesus. They have decided that they want more influence and they want some other kind of spiritual experience and they've gone out from the church. So these people that he's talking about in this passage were there for a while, understood the gospel, and then left. So what he says in this passage is that those people who have rejected the Son of God, they're calling God a liar. Unbelief is not an unfortunate situation. It's not a little problem. It's not a phase. 
It's a radical rebellion against a holy God. Unbelief is honestly, guys, listen, it's the only sin that's not going to be forgiven. It's the only one. Unbelief is saying, my way, not your way, God. Unbelief is saying, my word, not your word, God. Unbelief is saying, I believe my witness, not your witness, God. So I want us to hear today that unbelief is a radical rebellion. And it's deserving of punishment. Why? Because God has made it very clear. Water, blood, spirit. And now, in this age, He has made it very clear with hundreds and thousands of His witnesses moving about the country and the world to announce to people, if they will only have ears to hear, turn to Jesus. Jesus was on a mission. Jesus paid our price. The Spirit leads us and guides us into the truth today. I close with this. Guys, what if we do this? What if you do this? What if tonight when you put your head on your pillow, your internal reasons for doubting all of these things, your, your maybe my, your um, the things we're addicted to, the attitudes of our heart, the fears that we hold to that, that define us. What if tonight when you put your head on your pillow, you go, you know what? I'm going to believe the testimony of God about Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. I trust it. All the doubts are gone, and God puts peace in your heart. Peace between you and your spouse because you're not fighting anymore. You don't have to fight. Peace in your family because he can, he can rebuild what I have broken down. And secondly, what if not only we have that belief, but we also have that boldness? What if tomorrow, what if this week on the baseball field, I go back to baseball a lot, I know, but in your, in your marketplace, wherever you work, that, that you realize that you are called, you, the very testimony of God is in you, and you are called to testify wherever you go this week. What if your confidence in God's testimony about Jesus produces a humble, prayerful boldness to testify throughout the week as God opens the doors? Listen, it'll change Sheboygan. It'll change the world. It'll change your understanding of your life. You're not, you're not, you don't exist in this world to just get through tomorrow. You are on a mission because God has made his testimony clear and he's put it in you. Listen, I'm telling you, Sheboygan's waiting for you. Sheboygan's waiting for me to show up, to be faithful, to carry the testimony, to believe what we say we believe, testify. This is it, man. Together, you and me. Not for Sheboygan, but for the glory of God in Sheboygan. Let's stand together and be dismissed. God, dismiss us with your blessing, we pray. And I ask, Lord, for the one who's struggling with belief right now, I ask that you'd really move in their, in their heart. I ask that you would uh, do, do a thing for them that can only be ascribed to your greatness and glory. I pray for us to believe about the water and the blood and the Spirit. 
And I pray, Lord, that we, as we go from this place, confidently witness from personal knowledge and allow your glory to go forth as we, as we witness for you. In Jesus' name, amen.